0: You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now, for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts.
1: Hi, this is Caitlin Martin.
0: I'm Towner French.
2: This is Patrick Martin.
1: I'm Rodney Davis.
2: This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Towner, Rodney. It's a Slimmed down version of the beltway briefing, so to speak. Not in some respects. Um, Sleeker, sleeker version. Let's let's sleeker version. Good. Explain
1: a little bit. Sleeker, more efficient
2: version. Good. Good. We will be efficient today. But Rodney, what is not efficient is your former stomping grounds, the United States House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. What is the latest with? The potential for a government shutdown.
1: You know, I have been I have been plagiarizing Towner French since he first laid out his three week government shutdown strategy on this worldwide podcast a few weeks ago.
2: Well, that and means you're talking a lot.
1: I, yes. And oh, by the way, I've given him credit maybe 10 percent of the time. Otherwise, I have taken it all as my idea. Hey, ten
0: percent I'll take any day of the week.
1: That's- it's it's what called the town of French cut. Hey, but but seriously, I still think we're headed for a shutdown. It's probably less than one hundred fifty eight percent, like I said last week. But I just don't see how McCarthy pulls a rabbit out of the hat because you have so you have now different groups of Republicans that just want to be the disruptor. I said before, and I'll say it again. This reminds me of twenty thirteen. Um, the only difference is Ted Cruz doesn't have the kahunas to stand up and lead at this time because he realized how bad it was for Republicans back 10 years ago. And in the end, I think we go to a shutdown may not last the three weeks, but I still think I agree with Towner that it will. You're going to see this weekend and moving into next week, a push to get individual appropriations bills onto the House floor, Howard and Towner. And then you're going to watch the same people who called for that happen happen vote against every one of them and then we're right back to square one because it's about them and their irritants with Kevin McCarthy
0: I'm gonna deviate from what I've been saying for the last several months and oh mess
2: with a little bit dun, 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 breaking news
0: because I spent a good chunk of the evening last night in the Capitol talking to leadership staff going through scenarios trying to figure out how we get out of this thing and I think there's a little bit of a game afoot here, and i'm I'm trying to gauge what our actual listenership is on the podcast because I don't want to blow anything up by by divulging anything, but I think we're safe as long as as long as we can track the attorneys at Cozen O'Connor who uh, may listen to this. but you know I really think we're starting to see the serious Uh, nature of a moderate uprising in the House of Representatives unfolding before our very eyes. Those who may uh, follow Congress from time to time probably do not know this, but the House uh, did not actually go out of session when members left the Capitol on Thursday afternoon. Uh, The House stayed in session. And in fact, adjourned very quietly via voice vote at 10 p.m. on Thursday night and will reconvene, has just reconvened, I should say, at 9 a.m. this morning. And so uh, they're going to do the same thing again tonight. They're going to shut. They're going to adjourn to reconvene on Saturday and they're going to do the same thing again on Sunday. Why are they doing that when members aren't theoretically going to vote on anything this weekend? Uh, They are doing that because there is a time clock of legislative days for discharge petitions to ripen. And a discharge petition, we've talked about a bit before, uh, but a discharge petition uh, is a means by which 218 members, doesn't matter what party, um, and it's not controlled by leadership, uh, can move a piece of legislation to the House floor uh, despite whatever the Speaker of the House or the Majority Leader want to do as far as scheduling is concerned. And so right now, simultaneously you're seeing uh chuck schumer over in the senate starting to move the vehicle the legislative vehicle uh that will have the clean cr uh, along with the full supplemental bill that includes the ukraine funding and the disaster relief money and uh, at the same time you are seeing uh, some actions being taken in the house that could pave the way for moderate republicans to band with democrats potentially with tacit Republican leadership support, because they don't have any other way out, and they're upset with the Freedom Caucus anyway. This reminds me of uh, in 20, I'm going to totally forget the date now, is 2013, 14, 15? Uh, actually, Howard Schweitzer would know, when Excellent. XM Bank was, uh, was moved forward on a On a discharge petition was reauthorized and Howard, maybe you want to jump in here because you might know better than I on this, uh, having been a former
2: XM bank. I was I was gone, Towner.
0: You were gone from there. You were already cozen, weren't you?
2: I was. I was waiting for your arrival.
0: Well, yeah, it's going to be some years, uh, some years on. But uh, but, you know, it's. uh, Leadership could not get a reauthorization of the XM Bank through through the House uh, because of conservative angst and some democratic angst, to be quite frank. And a number of members they weren't necessarily moderate. Steve Fincher was a conservative, but was a supporter of the of the XM Bank. Uh, were able to move a discharge petition that John Boehner didn't really speak out against it all. Uh he said, you know, if you want to if you want to roll me, please feel free to roll me because he was in favor of reauthorizing it. So, anyway, I'll I'll be quiet now for a second, but Rodney, I I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that because I I feel like these building blocks are starting to to happen that leads to uh, a potential moderate uprising for the first time in quite some time to be.
2: Rodney, my only conclusion from what Tanner just said is that he should go teach one of your yeah. classes up at Harvard.
1: Why am I not? I the, <laughs> I, I, you know what? They would love you up here, Tanner. You would you would bureaucratize Harvard's <laughs> process even more, and and you would come in here and start giving your rules speak, and and they they, they these folks would even forget how much they hate Republicans like you and me. Um, in the end, I do need you up here. You got to come up. Both um, of you guys got to come up here to Harvard. And uh, make me not the only Republican circus animal on the Cambridge campus. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Rosen and me, the former attorney general. Hey Towner, look, I've been on this train before. The moderate uprising. I, I was there on the XM issue, but I- I'm a prime example of where you're gonna run into problems with the discharge petition. I committed to never sign a discharge petition in the majority. I didn't do it on immigration, even though I supported the reform efforts of Goodlatte 1 and Goodlatte 2 and my colleagues who were considered moderate, and although half my district considered me a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal Republican. In the end, it's a question of, of can Kevin McCarthy allow that process to happen right now? Because if he does, how much is he going to have to give to the Democrats to save him from being ousted in a motion of AK? Um, it's ironic, But typical of some of my former colleagues who have the hubris to complain about Republicans working with Democrats when they vote against the rule with all the Democrats. Yeah. And when they vote with Democrats on a regular basis against what uh, Republican leadership wants. I just don't know. I I think like I've been in all of these discussions before regarding shutdown, regarding exit bank, regarding immigration, discharge this. I saw the light about discharge petitions when when I became a member of the minority and I signed him all the time because it's a tool for the legislative process. I just am not convinced from my conversations with friends, with leadership, that McCarthy is ready to get to that point where it is when you basically pull the pin because you really don't know where that grenade's going to explode after you get it done. It will get done at some point, but I think, and it will get done in a bipartisan CR, but I think he's going to have to, to let... Uh, the bomb throwers experience some pain of the shutdown.
2: I'm very proud of having been a presidential appointee at the XM Bank. But it's hard to discuss the XM bank in the same breath as a government shutdown and immigration reform. Just saying Oh
0: well, Boeing well, needs their he, money, you know, Boeing needs their government subsidies. We gotta, we gotta make it happen. And so, you know.
1: <laughs> Great grain systems incorporated and recorded in Assumption, Illinois, and what was the old 13th Congressional District of Illinois, at any given time, had 5 to 10% of their entire global portfolio. helping the third world.
2: We did a lot countries. of good work. We did a lot you guys of good did. work. You guys did? And surprisingly,
1: because so, you were there.
2: You I, a- I mean, come on. I know. Just ask my former colleagues. You sold a lot of 747s.
1: Hey, listen, <laughs> I want to make one clear point, especially to the cozen. This is why I'm glad you guys took a chance on me. I know you weren't waiting for me to come over here like you were for Towner. You had your eyes set on him and your Howard claws in him long before. I just came and jumped in and disrupted. But being able to conflate immigration reform, XM bank reform, and shutdown talk, doesn't that make me like pass the test of being a multi-client lobbyist?
2: It does, and it also makes you pass the test of being a Kennedy school wonk up there
1: yeah oh or whatever it is
2: you're wonking about up there
1: you, you know we're stuck here you guys gotta pick on somebody yeah. and the weakest links like Patrick. we're all Mark, or not all we're it's all funny. the
2: weakest link you
1: come at uh, me what is man. it yeah.
2: hey rodney rodney
0: it's those I... who don't do teach right i mean is that is that <laughs> right. uh...
2: The um the thing that's always struck me in all seriousness about this town is how much more people of the same party fight with one another mm-hmm. than people of the opposing party. Just like how much the House and Senate hate each other relative to how each of them hate the executive branch. It's just these hidden kind of dynamics. I mean, they're not very hidden. They're just it's just funny. I mean it's politics. Everybody wants power. And that's what causes it. But it's I saw it in the executive branch. You saw it, you guys saw it on Capitol Hill, and it plays itself out in situations like this. Let
1: me I, I couldn't agree more. Um, Towner, let me ask you though, because I don't think it's just relative to DC. When you were chief of staff for Congressman Diaz Balar, mm-hmm. <laughs> what group was the biggest pain to have to Deal with on a regular basis. And if it was the same as a lot of times it was my own Republican Party leaders back home. Absolutely. Who would hear something from one of our exotic members and think it was gospel. Then you had to go home and explain why your vote was a conservative, yeah. why somebody who was on TV spouting uh just BS was not.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's the well. So the funny thing is, and and you went through this too, Rodney, with with the uh, you know Chicago media influence as well. You're explaining why you're rational to your hometown media at the same time you're you're trying to pitch your conservative bona fides to your constituents, and you're you're just stuck in the middle sometimes.
1: Yeah, served me well for ten years until uh, until my own party got me anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> like I said. It's, it's
0: not like, just in D.C. It's just, hey, you know, you just members of Congress, especially Republicans, uh, because they have the media to contend with as well. And that's a very generalized statement, I know. And it's not fair for me to say that without Patrick and, and Mark on. But, you know, it's it's making a decision of whether you want to take the arrow in the front or the back at some point. You know, it's
1: uh, Listen, it is completely fair because Patrick and Mark chose not to be on for us to attack them.
2: Yeah, don't totally <laughs> apologize for that totally agree with that well towner you and i were all over town this week yeah with clients um both chambers executive branch multiple agencies i mean in all likelihood the agencies are going to go home
0: yeah yeah
2: i but i didn't pick up a lot of There wasn't a lot of conversation about the shutdown. And even on the Hill, it's like people are sitting there. They have their portfolios. They take their issues seriously. And kind of they'll deal with the shutdown. No one was like freaked out, I guess, is my point about a government shutdown.
0: Yeah, they will be this week, though. They will be like as we get to Monday. That's it. Government shutdowns are very late developing, usually. I mean, they're, they're early developing from a political standpoint, even though this has been earlier than anything else that I've seen in a long time because yeah. of the real possibility of a shutdown. But but agencies don't like to react. OMB probably will not send out guidance until Wednesday or Thursday, maybe even Friday, because the shutdown will technically start on Sunday. And so. Uh, OMB will will drag their feet. We won't see the contingency plans of the agencies until probably Saturday, to be honest with you. And and the, the federal government tries to react very slowly to a government shutdown because yeah.
2: they're used to being taken up to midnight. Right. I'm just telling crazy. you, we, the people that are sitting there inside the agencies, I mean, I know they get to a point where the paycheck stops, but <laughs> otherwise they're looking at it as a paid vacation.
0: Yeah, I mean- For most of them. It's a paid vacation. It is. Absolutely. For most of the people. we, Which is why this is so stupid. Yeah. For most of the people we met with, they are going to be deemed essential because we were doing pretty high level meetings throughout the week this week. So they'll be essential employees. They'll be working as normal. And most of those folks as well get paid on a monthly basis and they will receive their paycheck on September 30th and then they don't get paid again until October 31st. And so they have 31 days for Congress to to go through a shutdown before they're impacted in any way, shape or form. We typically see about a 0.1% slowdown in GDP for the beginning of of Q4 uh, because federal employees spend a little less in October during a government shutdown in case we don't get it solved by the end of the month and they actually miss a paycheck. The only real folks that are that are tend to be affected by government shutdowns, including in 2013, are Senate staff who get paid twice a month, and so that's why I I mentioned on a previous podcast. That's why shutdowns end so quickly because Senate staff missed that paycheck on the 15th of October, and all of a sudden the Senate becomes very malleable when it comes to reaching a deal to get out of the shutdown because their staff is going ballistic.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: shutdowns. I was going to say. I mean, you look at 95 when the whole world watched the government shut down and it was, you know, countdown clock every single day. 2013, similarly. Right. But since then, we've had small shutdowns and then partial shutdowns. So, Towner is correct. And you know, it pains me to ever say that. Towner is correct in the sense that. that, uh, Gosh, I wish Mark and Patrick were here. Uh, 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 And Caitlin, of course, Caitlin, the true Republican. On this instead of some bourgeois French guy. Um, in the end, um America's desensitized to government shutdowns. Yeah. And America right. reflects Washington. So the desensitization uh is, is also reflected in the meetings that you had. Yeah.
2: But I think it's still embarrassing globally.
1: Because you're a globalist. Ah.
2: Right. I I and, am because Guess what? What the world thinks about this country matters.
1: But the majority of Americans right now in the polarins don't care the political spectrum. They don't give a damn what Towner's relatives in Paris think.
2: Right. We we just we just look stupid. We lose credibility. We look bumbling. And and people look, I mean, the whole premise of this country is civic involvement and discourse and democracy and that this is part of the problem that people check out it's, it's, it's
1: that's all that that is true for a lot of americans most americans i would argue but for the select few that get a lot of attention yeah um it's all about social media likes it's all well about that's the issue the that's the issue
2: rodney i was with a i was talking this week with a, a freshman member who i won't name but he was saying when he came to Washington, he was assuming that 40% of Congress would be nutcases and like 60% would be people you could like maybe talk to. And he said, Howard, it's not 40. I'm here. Like I'm in it. I see it. It's not 40%. It's more like 10%. And 90% 90% of the United States Congress, he, he's a Democrat, I can, I can work with and talk to. We don't have to agree on everything, but we can have rational conversation. The problem is the 10% get all the oxygen. And, and when you watch the news, that's all the media wants to put up there. And so everybody thinks that Washington is dysfunctional and and I mean, to some degree, because the margin is so thin in both chambers, it does give power to that ten percent, and they're making our lives difficult.
1: Yeah, I mean, 200. The dynamics are even different than 2013 when it comes to the more exotic members. Is that uh, Devin Nunes before he before he went maggot out? I used to call uh, some of those, uh, you know. Five percenters, I would call them. Uh, but in the end, they've gotten rewarded because of the bad behavior. Yeah. Um, I would argue, though, I would argue, I think you can work with about 90% of members of Congress. I think they are amenable to work on issues that are important to their district and your district that don't get the oxygen. And I would urge this new freshman, and I tried to probably tell him or her this during orientation, but maybe they didn't listen to my brilliance that day. So you can send them the podcast now, and in the end, they got to do a better job of getting to know their colleagues on both sides of the aisle, because they're they're falling into the trap that's going to lead them to be part of that ninety percent in future terms, to where they're going to think that that's the survival instinct, rather than focusing on getting to know individuals, rather than people by party or by perception. So I hope they change; otherwise, they're going to end up being part of the problem.
0: Well. And, and I told a group this week, actually, and, uh, you know, get ready, Democrats, because, you know, the playbook is has been has been put forward from the Freedom Caucus. And, you know, we saw a little bit of it when progressives last Congress uh, really shut down the ability to pass the infrastructure bill uh, as they were holding out for build back better slash inflate what eventually became Inflation Reduction Act. But. But you still had Pelosi, who was an extremely strong speaker. And I still think Democrats are going to win the House back uh, next election, quite frankly. Sorry, Rodney. Um, But I just don't like the map for Republicans, quite frankly. And, you know, you're going to have a new speaker, even though everybody likes him in Jeffries, uh, and you're going to have an emboldened progressive group uh, in the House. And I, you know, I don't think they're willing to shut down a whole lot, but they're also They're also going to push for much higher spending and they're going to push for a a lot of different policies that maybe rank and file Democrats are not ready for. And you could have you could have similar type problems, uh, you know, in the Democratic Party coming up. Donald Trump, to a certain extent, changed our politics. Um, And I'd say even before Donald Trump, things like Code Pink, you know, changed our politics. The loudest voice gets gets their way in a lot of cases. And we're seeing that. Over the course of the last 48 hours is as we now need to refer to Matt Gates as the Speaker of the House. And so, you know, that is uh, the unfortunate part of our politics today. Um, it's not a new phenomenon. Uh, those who uh, had the ear of the nation. Even in the late 1700s and early 1800s, uh, you know, the Thomas Paines of the world uh, were, were essentially, in many cases, rabble rousers, uh, but they were vocal and people listened to them and they could get their message out. So we just have an easier way of getting uh, message out for those who want to be the center of attention.
1: Okay. Okay. Let the record show on this podcast, Howard, that Town of French, in the absence of us being able to trash Mark Alderman and Patrick Martin... And along with Caitlin to help us trash them, Town of France just compared Thomas Paine to Matt Gates.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one can make the,
1: the linkage. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> one person can make the linkage. Somebody who is a freak show in and of themselves, and that's <laughs> you.
0: I you know, this is this is why I should be at Harvard. I need to stop lobbying and just start start going to college again. This
1: come be- on up. You'll be, you'll be up here. You'll flip to the <laughs> liberal side as and- Quicker than Howard would be like globalist this.
2: Yeah, you could be another Rodney. Rodney Dangerfield. Go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you, you haven't seen my triple Lindy. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't want to see your triple Lindy, Downer. A <laughs> good no tell you, <laughs>
1: they, they they got a great pool here that I don't swim in, but uh Harvard <laughs> facilities could could uh, could be a little more updated. But I guess I can't compare.
2: Oh, uh, they got a few bucks up there. Yeah, they'll fix it.
1: They don't. Let's just say they don't put them into
2: the uh, fitness facilities. Ah, uh, uh. I don't know.
0: Uh, all I know is this, and and maybe we're rambling on about the shutdown, but that's the the main thing. All I know is this week is going to be, it, from an observatory standpoint, it's going to be very exciting. Um, observatory you know, stuff is going to happen this coming week. Uh, Matt Gates is going to get his way and control the floor. I think there's still going to be a moderate uprising this week that it might actually be successful, and. Through it all, you know, we, we could be heading for a shutdown, or we could be heading for some sort of spectacular uh avoidance of a shutdown that may actually cause more problems than just going into a shutdown.
1: So that point right there, your first uh, yeah. you know, your first prediction was a three week shutdown. I still think it'll be borderline three weeks. I think it could be a little shorter. You don't think we go into shutdown now, or do you? I do. I do too. Yeah. How about you? How about you, Mr. Observatory? I mean, you know, the fact
0: I will say blah, blah, I, blah, blah. I've been saying three week shutdown since June 2nd, when when the House passed the Fiscal Responsibility Act and avoided the debt ceiling breach, I have been saying 2013, same thing. We're gonna have a three-week shutdown, probably 17 days again, is my guess. Um, not full three weeks. But that being said, again. In the last 12 hours, there have been significant concrete steps taken by the moderates to actually moderate Republicans to work with Democrats and avoid the shutdown altogether. And it's actually it's it's got me it's got me a little stumped here. Like this might might actually happen.
2: We'll see what happens. The other thing I'll say is that people are far more interested in talking about the top of the ticket in 24 than they are about this nonsense that's gonna be resolved one way or another. And that can we, we don't have to we don't we he who shall not be named doesn't have to be discussed on this particular podcast. We can why keep can't we to, talk
1: about why can't we talk about President White?
2: <laughs> but it's it's to, it's all anybody wants to talk about still. Still and you know when you sit down with a client for a cup of coffee they're not saying oh what about the government shutdown they're saying oh like what's going to happen next year and they're they're more they're much more concerned in one way or another about the top of the ticket and that doesn't some of their some of them are concerned because they want Trump i mean not everybody We work with is is anti-trump by any means so it's um and and the same on the other side democrats and republicans um that's to me what people still dominates the conversation and uh that you know i i think we are in for for quite a ride quite a ride it I got Uber drivers asking me, "Hey,
0: who's going to win in 24?" Right. You know, I mean it's it's the first thing on everybody's mind right now and we are in September. Yeah. of the year prior. We are over 1 year away from the
2: elections. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I I've had a lot of people talk to me about and it kind of makes sense that they'd be talking to me about this, but Chris Christie and he's nowhere You know, he's running a Trump takedown campaign, but more and more people have been asking me about Christie and I'm from New Jersey and maybe that's part of it. So I don't want to overread what people are talking to me about, but I am getting more Chris Christie questions. I'm getting more, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting question. I'm getting Nikki Haley questions. I'm not getting Tim Scott questions. Um, We thought. We thought Tim Scott would be, um, you know, a powerhouse in the race. And, you know, he doesn't, Towner, he doesn't appear to be. But, no. um, Anyway, it's interesting times. You know, well, sorry, go ahead.
1: Go ahead, Towner.
2: Oh, no, no, go ahead.
1: I mean, that's what you just talked about right there, Howard, and, and your anecdotal evidence from folks that were talking to you. In regards to the race it just goes to show you how important those those one-time moments to shine are in today's in today's environment um uh, Tim Scott great guy one of the best most honest people I've ever had a chance to meet and work with but on a, a debate stage in Iowa he was invisible absolutely invisible and when he talked he did what Tim wanted to do talked about hope in America and and that's his campaign but Nikki Haley shined in that debate Chris Christie did well in that debate. Um, Nikki Haley jumped Tim Scott and other Republicans. Look at New Hampshire right now. Ron DeSantis, albeit it's all pretty much a statistical tie, is in fifth place in recent form. You got Vivek, who I think is a clown, and you got uh, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, and Ron DeSantis, Um, which to me means uh, more more so we'll have Donald Trump as a nominee because they're so bunched up behind. There's not a clear second place person. But the people that we're talking to, they are talking to you, really aren't talking to folks in middle America. And remember, the reason Donald Trump has the polling lead he has is because there is about half of America that believes he's the best presidential candidate we have. I don't see it. You don't see it. Folks that talk to us. No, we can't see it. see
2: it. I, but We can't but, see it.
1: But if it comes down to a binary choice between Joe Biden and his administration and a new Trump administration with appointees, I mean, you you got at that point. You got to make a choice. And sometimes, so, you know, obviously we don't get to choose who all our candidates are. We get to choose who we want. But I have some faith
2: win. in the <laughs> rationality of the electorate as crazy as things are right now at the end of the day to choose somebody who actually can win the general election. And you know, in 2016 they for not, not somebody I wanted at the top of the ticket, but they chose somebody who could win the general election. Um, and, oh, you know, nobody tw- thought
1: he could win the general election again.
2: No. Yeah. Well, people... You were
1: reinventing history.
0: There are seven people in this entire world that thought he was going to win the general election. Maybe those so. Seven people. Maybe that was a dumb
2: point. But In a
0: conference room in Trump Tower in New York City. And even, I know for a fact, because I, I know half of those seven people, that three out of those
2: seven didn't think he was going to win. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, I didn't think he was going to win by any means. But... He won and the people put him forward and he was up against. I mean, I I think sometimes some of this is visceral and you can't put a finger on exactly where it comes from, but I don't know. Just like I said many, many times on this podcast, when everybody was talking about Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis that no one has seen him on a national stage. And we have no idea whether he has viability as a national candidate. And lo and behold, he doesn't appear to. I'm also gonna say on this podcast that we have no idea yet what the ramifications are. I don't care what the polling says today of all these indictments. And when the I think when people see that when when people kind of rationalize everything. Rodney, I'm I'm holding out some faith slash hope, and I think a lot of people are, because I think a lot of people would get behind a Nikki Haley as opposed to a, a Donald Trump. Frankly, on both sides of the aisle, there are plenty of Democrats that don't want to see Joe Biden back in the White House, moderate Democrats. Most people are in the middle, and even though I said we weren't going to talk about this, I'm talking about it, and I'm saying that I'm holding out hope that He won't be the nominee. We'll Well,
1: see. Hope and pray. Uh, Yeah. I remember having those same conversations that uh, that the electorate will always choose the best candidate. Well, you know what? I'm sitting with you instead (laughs) of in Congress. So um, in the end, uh, in the end, the same reasons that you laid out as to why Trump became the nominee in 2016 and the eventual winner is why he has such a strong base now. Yeah. Because they put so much effort and energy against all tides, and then continued against the onslaught of attacks, the Russian hoax, et cetera, that came through after he won, that they truly believe he's the victim. Yeah. And, in, and as we said, indictments don't matter. It actually emboldens somebody like Trump. And yeah. frankly, it would have emboldened somebody like Bernie Sanders if it happened on the left. So because that's the type of oh, that is there. But you mentioned. Candidates like Ron DeSantis, and I still believe any Republican we have on that stage could beat Joe Biden, except Donald Trump. Right. Uh Trump still may beat him, but I think it'll be the toughest race. I don't know about and any would,
2: candidate, but most of them.
1: I would argue, I would argue Ron DeSantis already proved that he could get Republicans and independents across the board to vote for him with the historic win he had just last November in, in Florida. But what yeah. Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign has done wrong. Is I believe he listened to his same consultant who used to run Ted Cruz's campaign in 2016, and they focused on such a narrow block of voters, it turned off all the other voters yeah. that loved what Ron did and loved Ron's fight until yeah. the fight became kind of like, hang on a second, are yeah. you sacrificing your win to to get a win in yeah. perception?
2: Yeah. Well, I think it's half yeah. I'll give you Connor, you get the last words. Well,
0: I got I get two quick notes. Um, the first is my brother has lived in Tampa for 20 years and he and his wife uh, became they actually showed up in the summer of 22. So a year ago at the beach for our week at the beach uh, vacation with Ron DeSantis trucker hats. I mean, they just went all in for Ron DeSantis at the beach this year. They're like that guy's turned into a clown. I don't know what he's doing. We we were such big fans around DeSantis, and now we just sort of think he's he's just gone nuts. And so with the presidential race. And so that is a good indication of where DeSantis is to Rodney's point that he's lost he's lost his sort of quasi-base. I'll tell you, the only person who is growing a party right now is Donald Trump. And that is the thing that everybody who doesn't like Donald Trump should be very concerned about because. He is winning over union white workers Uh, faster than you can shake a stick. I mean, it is happening and he is he is growing his base right now. Where is he going to be for the next debate in five days in Republican debate? He's going to be addressing auto workers who are on strike. He is he's found his niches of growing his base and they are suburban women. You saw his comments on abortion that he did recently with Kristen Welker on Meet the Press. And it is with and it is with union, white, uh, lower income individuals who work in in manufacturing jobs and nobody else. I don't care if you're. Any of the other 13 candidates in the Republican side, I don't care if you're Joe Biden. I don't care if you're, you know, Gavin Newsom. Nobody else is growing a base the way Trump is actually currently growing a base. And that should be the scary thing for everybody who, I myself, who would well, very much not like to see Donald Trump in the White House again.
2: We're going to leave it there, uh, even though I, uh, I have a couple things to say about that. I take issue <laughs> with it, but we're going to leave it there. Uh, guys fun as always we'll see what next week brings we'll be back and thanks everybody you've been listening to the
0: beltway briefing a podcast from cozen o'connor public strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released the beltway briefing podcast has been produced by hometown podcasts and audio washington dc